The Poets Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Urban Grind Coffee House. What better way than to start your day by grabbing life by the beans? Coffee beans, that is. Visit UrbanGrindAtlanta.com to get coffee delivered right to your doorstep. And be sure to use the discount code POETRY to save 15% on your next pound of coffee. And if you'd like to be a part of the culture and represent the eclectic vibe and positive energy that Urban Grind has to offer, you can choose from our selection of brand new Urban Grind apparel. And if you're in the Atlanta area, make sure you visit Urban Grind for their selection of specialty coffees, sandwiches, and pastries while you get your studying done, working on that million-dollar idea, or just meeting up with friends. Urban Grind Coffee House. Keep grinding. Um, so I thought it was only right that, you know, we kick off the new year, the Urban Grind open mic with Urban Grind family. So Lauren Doriana, uh, I gave my little spill, so go ahead and introduce yourself to the people who might not be familiar. Hey, what's up, everybody? So I'm Lauren Doriana. I've been performing spoken word since, gosh, for a long time now. I kind of started in 2004. But I didn't really take it seriously until '09, so it's been about um, a little bit over ten years now. And I hosted at Urban Grind the actual live open mic every fourth Thursday from 2011 until 2016. So that was a really dope experience, and that really helped to expand my network and my brand and meeting people. And I was able to like really meet so many poets. I was bringing poets in from out of state. So it's been a, a fantastic journey. Um, I've done stuff on B103 with Joyce Littell. She used to do a show called Poetic Moments. You had to audition. So I did that from, I think, 2006 all the way up to about 2010, 2011. But oh, I, wow. I was three, like 10 times live and met a lot a really polished poets and amazing poets like George and me and Abyss and just amazing people. And, you know, I'm grateful for that opportunity. And um, I was um, actually doing stuff with Amazing Grace Dance Company. Unfortunately, the founder, she was a friend, sweet person. She just died very young, 48. Oh, wow. Yeah, we lost so many people in 2020. Um, and we all thought she was just pulling through. She looked so young. She looked like she was in her 20s. Wow. But cancer and she um, transitioned. That was tough. But I always saw all my friends were like getting opportunities, performing at the Fox and performing at Center Stage. And I was like, I want to perform at Center Stage. And I'm telling you, like when you put stuff into the universe and you do good things and you pray, I kid you not, that opportunity came for me. Shout out to Roderick, who um, has a meetup group called Coffee. And he actually um, used to work with Urban Grind as well, doing stuff. He was like, I got this opportunity. They have this dance company who's considered the Alvin Italy dance company for spiritual and liturgical dance. So that's mm. like when you're um, in church and you see praise dancing and things like that. Well, this is like the amazing Grace Dance Company. No one else did what they did in the country as far as the choreography. And they had Larry Tinsley of V103 um, opening their show. And so I got to open it for like all these people at Center Stage. And it was an unforgettable experience. And I did that, um, I think about twice. And then I did a lot of other shows with them. And so it's been an amazing journey, Justin. I say that God has been so good to me in my journey. Yeah, so if you don't mind, um, go ahead and uh, kicking us off with a piece, maybe, just so the people can see what you're working with. Um, I was going to write something new about, obviously, the events that happened yesterday, but I, I just wasn't in that frame of mind. Um, so I'm going to do something happy. Um, I'm going to do something, I'm sure you've heard, but I still love it. So I'm going to do Black Girl Magic. Um. And this is a shout out to all my queens, all my kings. Um, so this is called Black Girl Magic. See, we've been Black Girl Magic long before it was trending on Twitter, long before it was a hashtag, 
Okay, we've been Pam Greer on the big screen before the Kardashians were even a thing. See, we've been rocking Jordash jeans and stuffing fluffy cheeks down in them, from rocking wigs to naturals to afros to relaxers all the way to bantu knots and braids. See, we've been Black Girl Magic long before it was trending on Twitter, long before it was a hashtag. So give me $25 in your nearest beauty supply store and I'll come out that place like New York Fashion Week. See, only black girl magic can do that. And see, black women, well, black women have a certain way of carrying themselves and they know how to handle pressure. And so sometimes they may walk around with coal in their pockets, but at the end of the day, they always end up holding diamonds. See, we've been black girl magic. See, we are the sleeveless dress that Michelle Obama wore. We are her right tricep, her left bicep. See, we are strength when she walked up those White House steps in the same place where slaves used to clean the floor. So when someone tells you what you can't do and the sky is the limit, you look at them and say, well, maybe for you. But I've been Black Girl Magic long before it was trending on Twitter, long before it was a hashtag. See, we are the original material girl from Nefertiti to Queen Cleopatra. And don't get it twisted. Black men have a certain kind of magic, too, because I know what the statistics tell you, that a Black man is going to be dead before the age of 22. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Because more brothers are going back to community college than numbers greater than ever before and getting their degrees. And together, black men and women are running the boardroom. From CEO to accountant, hell, we are getting graduate degrees and numbers that are so exponential. We're the greatest and most educated woman right now in the world. And see, it's what you believe, it's what you tell yourself, is what you teach your seeds. See, we've been black girl magic long before it was trending on Twitter, long before it was a hashtag. See, we are, we are, we are beautiful, we are righteous, we are queens, black girl magic. And that's it, peace. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. You're talking about you wanted to write something new. This is perfect. That's right <laughs> on time for everything that's going on. I think... Uh, Especially as black people, man, we always need we always need that constant reminder, just you know what? We are that shit. You know what I'm saying? We need that that constant reminder because some we get so many I mean, you know how the images they show of us when we turn on, you know, these mainstream the mainstream media, you know, we're not always portraying the best light. So that's why we always need, man, poets, artists, whoever. We always need that representation. That black girl magic, black boy joy, whatever they call it, we need all that. I love so, uh, write a piece called Black Boy Joy. I love that, Justin. And I just love your you're just you just have a magnetic smile and great energy. And you're just a dope artist as well. And I'm I'm so happy that you're doing the live every week and so many amazing poets have come through here on this live. So shout out to you. Cassandra, the Urban Grind family. I have not been by there recently, but I'm going to definitely support it. So support Urban Grind as well, y'all. Uh, thank you. You know, that means a lot coming from you. Like I said, I know, um, I mean, you were hosting at Urban Grind. You said, when did you start hosting? I started hosting in 2011. There was a poet named Infrared. Yep, no Infrared. Infrared is my brother. I love Infrared. I've known him forever. And he came to me and he knows I'm always grateful because that opportunity just helped me network with so many people. He was like um, another poet who's a dope poet named Spinks was hosting the night I took over. And he was like, Spinks is leaving. I recommended you to Cassandra and, and Infrared had already been hosting there. And he had been mm -hmm. doing poetry much longer than I have. Mm -hmm. So he recommended me and I was like, oh, me? Bladder. But um, I have been hosting another open mic night with a, a poet named Kelvin Rose. Shout out to Kelvin. And um, it was at a place called Crust, and it was a Black-owned spot. And Infrared saw me, and he was like, you were dope there, and I think you'd be great. And the rest is history. I, I loved hosting, and I stepped down due to personal reasons. But I miss it, but there are still so many amazing people still there. So fingers crossed we can get back to normal i don't know i'm about to cuss but <laughs> <laughs> no, i feel you i feel you so uh speaking of getting back to normal have you been out at all have you been in 
I know like they started opening up and there's been like a few poetry events going on around the city. Have you gotten out at all to to see what those have been looking like over the last few months? You know, I had really low vitamin D for like two years. So when they mm -hmm. told me, well, you know, media was saying that a lot of people that were catching COVID were vitamin D deficient. I was like, I'm not going to take the chance, but I just had my physical and thank God for supplements. My vitamin D levels are, are normal again. So, you know, anybody's watching this, please, if you know you have some sort of pre-existing health condition, don't, don't go out in COVID land. Don't do it. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and that's important. Thank you for sharing that about the, the vitamins, because, you know, all we hear is like talks about the vaccine or just locking yourself up and never going out. But nobody's talking enough about like taking vitamins, making sure you join to get physicals to make sure everything's good. Nobody, at least in my opinion, nobody's really talking about taking how to take care of yourself. You know what I'm saying? They're just talking about like medicines and vaccines and things like that. But but well, I mean, I that's like a... I think the thing with Americans, and I know people probably have anti-American for saying this, but we're lazy. We are very lazy as a culture, and not as Black people, white, just as Americans. We like things quick. We like our, you know, we like things, hey, I need it now. Exactly. And I think a lot of people are still apprehensive about, um, you know, the vaccine, but I feel like if you're not going to take the vaccine, you need to be taking care of yourself at home, you know, still working out, going to get your physical, getting your supplements, eating right. You know, don't just rely on the vaccine if you do decide to take it to just be like, vaccine is going to fix everything. And then if you have some sort of pre-existing condition that you don't know about in your body, you're rolling the dice, you know, because you haven't been taking care of yourself. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy. I know that's changed a lot of, um, you know how I mean, it's changed, it's changed all of our lives in some way. So during this time, have you been able to stay creative, continue writing uh, oh, while yeah. we've been in quarantine? I give this suggestion to you and any other poets that are watching. Um, you can just search on poetry open mics in um, IG or even on that hashtag. And I've discovered so many great open mics, one called the Doc Open Mic. Urban Grind, of course, is number one. Make that your number one stop. <laughs> but but I, I get on open mics all the time. It's only been in the last month. Um, I've been more focused on work. But yeah, since the, throughout the pandemic, I was doing mostly like Moody had a midday open mic. I think it's still going on. I'm not for certain. But that was a lifesaver because it was just like, no poetry and when that's like nine percent of your life which it was like, i know <laughs> i know i know a matter of fact um you know i think the actually the last time i performed was inside urban grind that was back in march like the middle of march and they were talking about uh and i was actually going back and looking through my journal and i'm like god they're talking about one day i'm like you know they're talking about how they're ramping everything up and then the next day i'm like uh, but it's not going to affect me. I'm going to still get out and perform or whatever. And now here we are having performed since March. So it's just, uh, it's just been crazy. There's a turn of events in the whole year. But, uh, but Lauren, if you could talk about uh, how you got, you said you got started uh, spoken word in 04, you started performing. Uh, but talk about what got you into poetry and, and what caught your interest in the first place. Okay. Well, to kind of go back even farther, just briefly, um, I went to college, was going to be a physical therapist. That's what I thought I was going to do. I went to Emory. The science classes kicked my booty, but I was really great at writing. So I switched my major to English. And, you know, I just started writing creatively in college. I was writing poems and stuff. But, I, you know, I wasn't out in the city, but I still had, like, a whole little notebook of poems that, you know, I ended up still having, actually. And so I started watching HBO Deaf Poetry. That was like huge in the early 2000s. And it was so inspiring. And my biggest regret with poetry is that I didn't send in an audition tape. I don't think I would have been selected because a lot of the people who did get selected, um, I know now they already had like a whole resume, you know, so you know, I was an amateur, but I still wish I would have just put it out. You never there. know. You never know. Yeah. yeah. 
but that was um, a big inspiration and that was such a golden era for poetry. Um, people were getting like brand sponsorships, you know, commercials because it was just popping for years. But um, there was an open mic in my neighborhood. I lived in East Point and it was off of Cascade Road, which wasn't far. And it was called the Java Lounge. And shout out to Alan. He was the host. It went on for years. And I was there for about a good two years. And it was addictive because at one point, poetry in the city was majority male dominated. It was mm, most That's men. interesting. Yes. And I mean, these guys were it, and like Tommy Bottoms kind of came later. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tommy's a hard hitter. Very dope person I admire as far as being a poet. But it was just a whole group. It was just men. It was always male dominated. And I would get up there and I'm shaking the paper. I would just be like, you know, but I had really <laughs> good work because I could write, but my performance absolutely sucked, you know, and just kept going with it and kept going and getting a lot of inspiration um, the way men write is a little different than how women write. So I think a lot of my earlier stuff is kind of mirrored, um, at least the performance style and the topics around men. Like there's poets like XPJ7 and a lot of just phenomenal writers that I really admired when I was coming on the scene. So I started getting kind of recommendations from poets. It's like, well, check out Java Monkey and check out this open mic. And so I just started hitting all these other open mics. And then I started saying, well, what's a feature? And how can I do that? And then I started just going harder. And then I started getting invited to be a feature. And then it just kept going. And so that's really where my journey started. And um, I just kept expanding my resume. And thankfully, opportunities um, are still rolling in. I just... Um, have a really good friend who does amazing plays. She's produced plays with Angie Stone in them. Wow. And she went to college and she has her degree in theater, I believe. But she commissioned me to write a um, a poem for her play called A Story for a Daisy. And it is going to, I think it's going to be virtual first. And then it, it might be on a bit right now. Um, and then, you know, hopefully they'll be live. But it's an amazing play. Afro-futuristic, puts you in the mind of Wakanda. It's like oh, it's a dope. love story, but it's got a huge twist, and it's aliens and gods, and just like us as a people, but it, it is a really dope. It's so well-written. I mean, this wasn't slapped together. She's a professional, so she's got, she's workshop the singing and the writing and table reads and all that, so make sure y'all check that out. A song for a day and the opening is written by me, the poem, so. Oh, that's dope, that's dope. And uh, But I think it's uh, interesting that you said early on when you were performing, you said the poetry scene was male-dominated. And that's really interesting to me because I was thinking as I was driving, I was on my way to driving to work this morning, and I was like, God, oh, poetry seems like, at least right now, because, I mean, I guess because I've been going to uh, Queen Sheba's workshops and just kind of moving around a little bit, I'm like, Oh, poetry seems kind of woman dominated. I, and I thought to myself, if, if it was always seen like that. And so the fact that you said that, it just, that's real interesting to me. Because when I think about spoken word, I don't necessarily think like, I wouldn't, I, I would have never thought that it was like male dominated early on. I mean, even, even I've seen a lot of males on, um, I, I think they kept a pretty good mix. It feel like, like on Deaf Comedy Jam, I mean, excuse me, Deaf Poetry Jam. I feel like they kept a, a pretty good mix. So that's really interesting to me. That, yeah. Um, like I said, when I started, and I, I know people like Abyss, if you talk to them and some of the people that have been doing this since the 90s, they have some really cool stories. But when I came around, which was, like I said, around 04, it was straight. I mean, there's always been more women in the audience than men because this is a Okay, lady. okay. It's always kind of been that. But you did – well, actually, I would say um, – some of the open mics were half and half, but as far as the performers and the poets, it was definitely more men. Wow, um, okay. Everywhere I went, it was just more men. And um, like, I could literally see a list and it would have 15 people on it and at least 10 of those would be guys. So wow. 
Yeah, it was definitely um, like that for a while. And then it started, I don't know when the shift started, maybe 2010-ish, I would say. The shift started maybe a little bit before that. But um, yeah, it was um, definitely interesting. But I mean, the poets were just dope. You had, And they were, like I said, HBO Deaf Poetry really set it up for people to have so many great opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. Because I remember it was a poet. He was getting published in like Source Magazine was publishing people's poetry. Essence oh, Magazine wow. used to pu publish people's poetry. And a lot of guys I know were getting published in the Essence. So my, my thing is always like, I always am everyone's cheerleader. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I, I'm getting yeah. on. <laughs> I'm getting on. How do I get on? And once I figure out how to get on or, you know, because sometimes people aren't forthcoming with information. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that because I think some people right. think you're going to take something. Take spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you already done it. They know what your talent is. And I feel like what God has for you is for you. Absolutely. So I've always shared information with people like tips, who to talk to. Cause I know that I'm going to get it. Cause I, I'm, you know, I believe in the power of prayer and I believe in putting out good karma. And so I've never been like apprehensive to be like, well, I can't tell Justin about that. Yeah. Oh, so he might take it over. you know. <laughs> so, but, but uh, so would you say in the early two thousands, do you think poetry, because I didn't get on the poetry scene guys until like pretty recent, like 24, 13 or 14 was like the first time I performed and then didn't really start taking it serious for real until like 2017. So do you think in the early 2000s was poetry more mainstream than it is now? Um, I think there's always been opportunities, um, but for this is just my opinion. I don't think anybody will really argue with me that's been doing it at least a decade or more. But the HBO Deaf Poetry Years were phenomenal for poets. It was just that platform was so huge and it wasn't like it it came and went. It was on for many years. And I mean, to yeah. this day, when a lot of poets are introduced, they'll always have that in their credits because they had the absolute best on that show. They'll be like, HBO Deaf Poets. So, I mean, it's still a great thing to have in your resume. Um, and then you had BT did like the Lyric Cafe. And I remember... Yeah. I for that I bombed my audition but I was a rookie I did the, <laughs> the worst poem you could think of God bless Joyce and tell she was in charge BET actually um got her to be in charge of those auditions it was a lot of horrible poems in that audition <laughs> Not <laughs> but uh, you know a few select got on and you know the ones that got picked it was well deserved and then after that you had TV one had a show called Versus and Flow. I remember um, that. So I think when you get those, and then, well, even now, I think it's starting to come back around because the gentleman, Brandon, won um, America's Got Talent. AGT, yeah, yeah, yeah. A million dollars to do poems, you know? Right. We never thought that that type of money was, you know, out there like that, the opportunities. But I think he definitely has opened doors and i think the funny thing about it and i think it was an ironic moment and don't get me wrong i'm very happy for him he's actually come on moody black's open mic and some other people's open mic so he's definitely a humble guy um i think for me i think a lot of poets is like why didn't i think of that <laughs> right you know because we just see it like they won't give a whore a shot you know and they did and he was dope you know so yeah. i for me, um, and this is probably off the topic, but I was putting it out there. I always tell poets that are new to the scene, if you're trying to build your uh, open mics are great for building up your performance and trying out new material. Be careful about that. You don't want to always tell people your material is new because people right. have poems and I've seen it many, many times, which is unfortunate. Um, so be careful about that. But use the open mics to get to know people, to network, but don't stay there forever. Mm. I always say go to places where poets are not. 
so I've performed in churches. I performed like in Shreveport, uh, um, Louisiana. I did a festival out there. I was brought by a poet who liked what I did. And, you know, I got paid for that. And it was on their news out there. Um, you know, festivals, you go to different, you know, just network with people and ask people and think outside the box, you know, because if you're going to places where everybody's been, you're not that special. But when you're mm -hmm. bringing talent to a place where it's not something that's commonplace, then you're making your own niche. And that's how you get your name really out there if that's one of your goals. And, you know, of course, have a message in your poetry. It shouldn't just be about accolades and wanting to be famous, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that's good. That's some good stuff. Um, I want to go back a little bit because you said you started performing in 04 and you said you started taking it serious in 09. So what made you want to take it serious and what did taking it serious look like for you? I think because so many people kept telling me I was good and they saw me growing and they were like, you sucked when you started. <laughs> <laughs> you really sucked. I mean, I was always a good writer, so they weren't even talking about the writing. But they were like, your performance sucked. But I just kept going and kept going and memorizing my pieces. And I had theater background from high school, but, you know, I, it was only for a couple of years. But I was like, let me use the tools in my bag and bring some life and a different energy to it. And so other people really pushed me to, you know, expand and, and keep going. And I'm grateful that they did. And that just, you know, and then, like I said, when, when B103 was doing poetic moments and stuff, it was such a cool example. I mean, some poets are too cool for school. They're just like, <laughs> hey, you know, I was on radio last night. It's like half a million people. No biggie. Like, I was not that too cool for school poet. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm on the radio. <laughs> Hi, mama, if you listening, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is how it should be. We shouldn't be excited for opportunities like that because that's a huge, that's a big thing. You know, it, but yeah, but, you know, some poets were like that. And it was just amazing. But that opportunity, and I, I know jo Joyce to this day, we're not like personal friends, but we, of course, know each other. I'm like, thank you for putting me on back in the day, you know. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's cool that's cool yeah so who are um who were some of your poetry influences saul williams um mm. um he is one of amazing. one of the greatest excuse me one of the greatest um amethyst rocks when i heard that for the first time I was like and then he came and performed at a spot that george and me actually helped put that show together it might have been 2012 or 2013. I can't remember, but it's around that time frame um, in the East Atlanta Village. And he was amazing. And he freestyles and stuff, too. And, I mean, his freestyle. Oh, he wow. I was like, dang, this brother is sick with the pen. Um, who else? Of course, like, Maya Angelou. I love her work. Sonia Sonia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in the scene, I love Georgia Me. I love XPJ7. I'm more of a conscious Poetry groupie. Um, yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, I like a, a lot more of the conscious poets. Um, Cola Rum, Abyss, um, and there's like a lot of other folks um, as well. I like Songbird as well. Um, Teresa Davis. These are kind of like local people, but um, there's been so many. Uh, a poet in Michigan, his name is Fable. He's a dope poet, and that brother's doing huge, huge things in Michigan with poetry. Um, so connect with Fable, for sure. Um, okay. I'm in the poet and writer's directory. You have to be um, accepted. They also give grants. I used to get grants for features, live, like, live features, usually features I was bringing from out of town. But um, once you get your resume to a certain um, place, you can apply to be in their directory and it opens you up to international opportunities if you're listed. So I would encourage everyone to check out their website and it's just full of publishing opportunities and, and all kind of things like that. That's dope. That's dope. So um, where did you, so uh, you got game to give to people, obviously. So where did, uh, where did your knowledge of 
the business of poetry come from? Was that something like that you just picked up over time from just trial and error? Or did you have somebody like, did you learn from somebody in particular? Or how did you, um, how did you come to get the knowledge that you have now? I talked to people that were, that I felt were on the top of their game. I would be like, meet me at this coffee house because I'm trying to do some things. And there were times where life kind of prevented me from following their advice. But Amita Brown, she's an amazing poet. Shout out to Amina. She used to host at Urban Grind as well for many years. She recently wrote, she wrote the poetry that is on the pattern, which is Tracy Ellis's Ross beauty line and Oprah mm, and it was like wow but back in the day some years ago I she she does what no other poet does she does a lot of international conferences from churches like a lot of mega churches and she explained and broke down to me about contracts and how you should you know set them up and how you should be paid and what you should be asking to get paid and that's what I did. John Good, another amazing brother. Google him if you haven't heard of John Good. Yeah, I know um, John. I, yeah, I talked to John. He started at Urban Crying as well. Um, I've talked to George and me here and there. Not as much as I want to, but um, I'm going to do that. But just talking to people like Abyss, I would always just book a meeting with people. And I'd be like, yo, meet me at the coffee house. <laughs> Do you have time? And I would buy them a coffee and they would just drop jewels. And a lot of the poets that have been around for a while, like even myself, they, we have no issue or no problem with sharing information. If a poet doesn't want to share information, they whack. <laughs> Leave right, them alone. Right. And that's, uh, but that's one thing that I've seen in the poetry community. Like it's, uh, at least the one here in Atlanta, like it's pretty tight knit. But I think for the most part, most people want to see each other succeed. Most people want to support each other. Most people, you know, they'll hop on your live. They'll come to your show. You know, they'll support you, buy your book if you got it, or, or willing to give you the information. Or at least uh, that's been my experience, at least in Atlanta. In my experience, too. I mean, I've heard the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you know, I've heard about people complaining that there's cliques. But the way I see that, when I hear people say that, it's just like if you were in high school or in college. You may know everybody, but you're always going to have that group of friends that are your rock. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it's that they're excluding people. It's just that they're friends. And friends are going to look out for friends before they look out right. for everybody else, you know? And Absolutely. I if I have a great, great opportunity, unless I know it's an absolute fit for Justin, I'm going to go to my circle first. I think that's right. just anything in life. So I don't think yeah. that people should take that to heart like oh it's a personal thing I just think that's what people do you know um but yeah people used to say you go to so many open mics I'm like half the time I'm not even performing it's just poets are my family these are where my right. friends are supporting their show and I want to you know and I know if they're doing it I'm gonna see 15 other poets so I tell people do not be afraid to perform and go to places you haven't been because the poets kind of move in groups so you're right. like oh, Snap, you're here and you too, you know, so. Right, and that's, um, but, the, but that's one thing, that's one thing I see, like, so people going to, people get, like you said, people going to have their cliques or whatever, because I do see that, I think there are cliques, but at the same time, it's like, poetry is one of the only genres, like, you can go to an open mic and it might be your first time performing, but you might get called on stage after a red storm or after a George me, you know what I'm saying? And it might be your first time performing and this person just got on stage and killed. So poetry to me is one of the only genres where you can go to an open mic and you might see a couple greats there and they just go in to work out some material or whatever. But um, I think a lot of people or some people who may be new to the scene, they think like just because they go to an open mic and perform like, you think you're about to be accepted, but people want to know that you're good before they just bring you into, into the circle. You know what I'm saying? People want to know that you're good and you're consistent. Like, just because you performed at an open mic one time, to me, just because you got a poem, I don't necessarily make you a poet. That means you're a person that wrote a poem and shared it one time. 
You know what I'm saying? But if you're going to get like embedded in the community, I think people want to see you in multiple spots. They want to see you moving around. They want to see you making moves and getting better before they just Absolutely. like be friends. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think with poetry, it should not be about your ego. It's about bringing a message or bringing your truth or bringing your fiction. You know, you don't have to always write about your personal truth. Um, I have a lot of poems that people are like, man, that really happened to you. Like I have this one breakup poem that I always get requested called one year in. And it's literally written to sound like it's about one bad relationship, but it was just different things that happened with different dudes I dated probably six different guys and I merged all those experiences together. But you know, the thing about it, if I go on stage and kill and a poet who's not as experienced comes up there. I, I don't I always tell poets, don't get up there and say, oh, man, how do I follow that? Just do it. Do Just you. Because it. it's about bringing your truth to the people and helping the people with your words. So if you're in it just for accolades and just for hand claps, you should not be a poet. Because we're the storytellers. We're the truth tellers. We're the ones that people rely on to say what everybody else is thinking and say it in a creative way. Or we're the ones that bring some type of response. If it's erotic, bring your A game. And I've seen people change the mood. I've done it myself. You might have 10 conscious poets and you did not prepare a conscious piece. Do you? Now, if you know for sure that, you know, read the room is not right. totally bomb. But if you have any iota that, you know what? I'm going to just do it. Do it. And I've seen people shift that energy and get standing ovations because they like, the audience was like, yeah, I needed some love. And all this this consciousness, I needed a little love. You know? <laughs> right, right. So let's, uh, let's, stay, let's stay there for a minute. So at least for you, in your opinion, what's the line between bringing the people into your world, per se, like regardless of what everybody else is doing, this is what I'm going to spit? versus reading the room and being like, okay, it's this kind of crowd, so maybe they want to hear this. Where's kind of the silver lining in there for you when it comes to that? Um, well, for me, like, if I've gone out of state to, like, a particular open mic, okay, I'll tell you. I went to, a, I was booked to do an open mic in Birmingham, and... I was very, very nervous. I had not done a whole lot of out-of-state features at this time. And a friend of mine booked me for it. And I listened to this person because I was like, oh, my God, they had already featured there. And they drove there to surprise me, like, hey, I came to support you. And I brought other friend poets with me at a cool little fun world trip. But everybody was doing conscious poetry. But my friend who was the feature was like, there's white people here. You don't want to insult them. Do some of your light stuff. And I wish I would have followed the lead of the room because I bombed. I bombed oh, wow. so hard. And it wasn't that my performance sucked or that my poem sucked. It just did not fit the dynamic of that particular open mic. They so were not. Did you, so did you end up taking her advice or did you do your own thing? I took his advice and I did what he recommended because in my head, you know, I had already kind of had a set I was going to do, which was a mix. And, you know, he's like, well, there's white people here, but the, these white people were, you got to think when white people are at a poetry open mic, they might be a con, you know, and it was majority black people there and they might be very conscious themselves and they want to hear, and they want to hear about your truth and they want to hear about, issues and how they can get involved or they just know because they go there all the time and they're not tripping on none of that and plus you know my poems aren't like get white people out of the way you know or right. that I've, but it was some poets there that were doing that and they were still getting applause but i was listening to this other person instead of reading the room uh okay okay that would be one example um another example is just um if you know that there's a lot of, you know, love poems, you may not want to get up there and talk about the time you were sexually assaulted. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, right. 
seen poets do that, and they're like, everybody in the room's like, damn, what time is it? I think I'm about to leave. So that was <laughs> right, right. Damn heavy for a Tuesday. <laughs> I know we talk. I mean, I've seen it. it's like I know we saw my love, y'all, but I'm gonna talk about the time I was got date raped, and everybody like, damn. And then the women are looking at the men like, I hate you. <laughs> Again, or looking at the women, maybe it happened to them. Like, yeah, I knew you was no good. You know, it's like you gotta be careful sometimes how you shift the energy or try to shift the energy. Right, right. Yeah, and I've definitely, um, I've definitely been victim of of uh, somebody or getting a piece of advice or catch myself trying to take some advice, and instead of doing what I came to do, I try to switch it up in the last minute and. And you know, it me completely bombing. But I do like bombing. I gotta admit, at least for me, I like bombing every now and then, just to just to keep myself humble. Cause sometimes I might be on the road, I might be feeling good about myself, like yeah, you know, I'm on a roll, I'm doing this. But sometimes I need to bomb just to just to bring myself down to earth and constantly keep myself calibrated. Like okay, I can't get too comfortable. I gotta make sure I'm continue writing, make sure I'm continue focusing on my work and getting better. So. Um, so bombing sucks, but I got to admit, any time that I have bombed, it always makes me take a good look in the mirror of who I am. I, I, if, if I meet a poet that's been doing it for over a year, and they sit there and tell me they've never bombed, either they're delusional, <laughs> people were clapping because they're glad you were done, <laughs> <laughs> right? and you didn't know that, I think everybody, every poet has bombed at some point. But if one person comes up to you and says, you know what, I was inspired by your story, wherever, or your poem or whatever it is, I think then you haven't bombed. You made a difference. I see. Usually when I bomb, I try to leave real quick so people don't even get that opportunity <laughs> to say it. I'd be like, you know what, I was going to stick around, but it's getting late. That's <laughs> you say you try to leave. I be trying to leave real quick, but that's just me, though. Not I got to get out of. I try to get out of dodge and save face, but uh, <laughs> I'll be back next week, though. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, but Lauren, tell me what's uh, as it relates to poetry. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten? The best piece of advice that I've gotten. Oh, that's a great question. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um. to come back to that because I've had people give me advice um, that has been helpful on the business and the creative side. I will say this. Okay, the best piece of advice I've gotten came from my sister-in-law who's only been in one or two of my shows, but she is an amazing actress. I think if she would have kept going, she would have been on Saturday Night Live or one of those type of shows. But she said, I'm going to tell you something. Because she used to kind of coach me. She would help mm -hmm. me do, um, in theater, they do these articulation exercises where you're like, refrigerator, aluminum, linoleum. And you do that over and over before you perform. And it helps you enunciate all your words. Okay. So we're doing all these enunciation, articulation exercises. And I'm trying to perform. This is like early on. And she's like, stop holding back. Because when you hold back, mm -hmm that's when you look like a fool mm. and she's right and she was like have you ever been like let's say it's a group of kids or adults and they're at a mall you know sometimes you see kids on a recital or they're at a mall or they're wherever and that one person who isn't going hard and they're just you could tell they're nervous and yeah. they're, just, they're worried about what people think that's the person that everybody's looking at like do something. So, I mean, once I stop holding back and you just go in, and I literally, Lauren Doriana is, Doriana is not my last name. That is um, a variation of my middle name. Um, it's a stage name, basically. And that is my stage persona when I go on stage. And I just let it all go. Because I'm typically, I used to be a very, very shy person. So and really? that's how I was able to move forward. Because even though poetry is definitely about the word, 
you still got it when you're when you get into the performance poetry um if you want to be a performance spoken word artist you got to bring some energy got to got to yeah got to i i agree a thousand percent with that gosh lauren it's uh so much i want to ask you but i don't want to hold up all your time so um so last question if there is if there's one thing if there's one message you would want somebody to get out of all of your work what would that message be what would that message be um, if you could sum if you could sum up your whole portfolio let's say and I you think, wanted somebody to get one message what would that message be i think all of my poems are basically have the message of do unto others as you want them to do unto you um and that's biblical and that basically just means um treat people the way you want to be treated and I think that's the moral in a lot of my story. Like a lot of my poems are sort of like storytelling. People have kind of dubbed me the storytelling poet, but like I may write a breakup poem, but at the end of that poem, the message of the story is we both didn't treat each other right, you know? Mm -hmm. And Or if it's a poem like Black Girl Magic, it's just talking about the adversity and the things black women go through, but we have to still celebrate each other, you know? So you, the CEO of some corporation, how are you giving back to the lady that's the janitor? You know, and if mm. you're the janitor, how are you giving back to the person that's unemployed? Mm. So it's how do we celebrate each other without belittling each other? So I think that's my, my poetry is be kind to each other. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Lauren, I'll let you, um, I'll let you choose. If you want to take us out with a piece, you can. If not, we can end it. I'll I'll leave that up to you. What you think? I'll do a piece. Um, I um I'm gonna do this piece, and I think it's really right on time. Um, it's something I wrote for my grandfather. I think you've heard it before, but um, it's called Lost, and it's more storytelling, <laughs> poetic prose, as I call it. Okay. Okay. When I was eight years old, I was my grandfather's shadow. I followed him wherever he went. And they say the greatest form of flattery is imitation. See, my grandfather had tremors in his hands. His hands would often shake. And one day when we were at the dinner table, I said, Granddad, pass the rolls. And when he put the basket in my hand, I started shaking. Rolls were flying everywhere. My grandfather, being a proud man, didn't say a word looked at me and said, pass the butter. 20 years later, I found myself sitting at my grandfather's table again. We were playing cards. He was sipping on his favorite spirit, Old Crow. I was popping my gum and I looked at him. And by the way, my grandfather could roll up a homemade cigarette with the same precision that would make your local dope boy jealous. He was the man in my eyes. And I said, granddad, I feel lost. He said, lost. What do you mean? I was like, duh, like the opposite of found. He said, lost. Hmm. I think I understand where you're going with this. Lost. Lost like the year being 1944, headed to the beach on Normandy, sitting on a boat 19 years old with your hand raised towards heaven, saying, Father, no other help do I know while bullets whiz past your helmet. Or lost, like being on that same beach days later, hunkered down in a foxhole while your comrades are dead and fallen soldiers around you because they didn't know the meaning of one simple word duck if that is your loss baby girl well, who would have thought you and i we are here or lost like being in paris broke because you send your whole paycheck home to your mother so she can know what it's like to have her own running bathroom no more outhouse for her which leaves you sewing up the socks of your fellow soldiers who call you country slow well, whose country slow as you take up your collection of dollars because they didn't know the difference between a needle's eye and the asshole. Mm. See, if that's the loss that you're listening, that's the loss that you're talking about. You and I, we are here. 
or lost like driving on the back of a truck, throwing out chocolate bars to the local men and local women who are starving and feeling good about yourself, but coming home, no ticker tape parades, no tales of glory days, just told to sit in the back of the bus, told you can't grow, gotta follow the laws of Jim Crow, went from being a man to now a boy. Or lost like coming into your small town of Milledgeville, Georgia with your freshly pressed uniform on. And then one white woman compliments you and says, wow, you look handsome. So three weeks later, you find yourself moving to Detroit, Michigan, because you didn't survive the war to become strange fruit. If that is your loss, who would have thought you and I, we are here? Or lost like having the keys to your very first home. And two days later, four white men throwing garbage on your lawn and saying, nigga, go home. If that is your loss, then you and I, we are here. Or lost like enduring all kind of racism, but not becoming a racist yourself. By this time, tears were streaming down my face. I said, granddad, you know what I mean. And my hands were shaking. He said, you don't know shit about being lost. And I'm glad that you don't, because if you did, that means times ain't changed that much. And I know what your lost is, that you went to that fancy school, got your fancy degree, and you didn't land that six-figure gig after your one solid year of experience. Well, baby girl, if you really wanted to become unlost, open up your Bible to the pages of Ruth, discover your truth, lead with your knees, let God tell you what to do, always use pencil, never use pen, and remember, when you hear that little whisper and a tap on your shoulder, it is the Holy Spirit guiding you. By this time, I didn't know what to say. My grandfather looked at me, threw down his card, and said, we gonna play or you gonna babysit? I threw down my card, he smiled, took a sip of his favorite drink, tapped me on the top of my shoe, took my $5 and said, now this is the type of loss I can get used to. And that's it, peace. <laughs> hey, hey.